I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And good morning and welcome to What's Next. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by the president of Buffalo Black Nurses here in Buffalo, Ms. Tiffany Anderson. Tiffany, welcome to What's Next. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great today. This is exciting. I always like when I'm the first radio interview for my guest, and this is her first experience on radio. Be kind. I will will do my best. I'll try to to pull some punches, but no, no. We're going (laughs) to... We're going to discuss some, some, I think, some real important stuff. Nothing that's going to come to a surprise to you, but uh, things that might come to surprise to our listeners. Just the fact that we're still dealing with a lot of issues left over from the pandemic. We've got something that, that a lot of us have, have spoken about one way or another is just the inequities of health, the health disparities here and, and beyond. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, Tiffany, first and foremost, Buffalo Black Nurses. It's a nonprofit mostly dedicated to the promoting health and the well-being of underserved communities in the Buffalo area. I'm doing the description for you, but really, what is Buffalo Black Nurses? What is the mission? Our, our mission is to promote health equity, number one, for our community, for black and brown communities, people that look like us. Um, a lot of people don't understand how important that is unless they're faced with a type of challenge. And unfortunately, it's not until they have a loved one or somebody that's in a hospital and they see how unfortunate mistreatment and they wish they had someone to either advocate for them or give them information to be prepared for those type of situations. So Buffalo Black Nurses, um, I'm going to give you a, a, a long story short, right? Please. It started as Black Nurses Rock. Black Nurses Rock is a national nursing organization. Mm. And Rhonda Wilson, our CEO, started the Buffalo chapter of Black Nurses Rock. And... How she got it off the ground, she went to a few of her nurse friends, and she said, hey, let's do this. And so it started as an extension of that organization and had some, you know, incremental growth over the years. And the the pandemic allowed us to reevaluate ourselves. So this was in 2019. Not that we weren't making progress Mm -hmm. under Black Nurses Rock, but... We had such an impact in that short period that we said, you know what? We can do this on our own and focus on our community. We don't need a national scale to do that. So the rebirth of Black Nurses Rock is now Buffalo Black Nurses Incorporated. Started with five friends, and we have upwards to 130 members today. Wow. That, that's quite the incremental growth yeah. there. I, I assume that any, in the medical field, there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of, I mean, you're in figurative trenches together. You have to, you have to be able to, to lean on one another. So how did that begin in the first few years of what was Black Nurses Rock and mm-hmm. then became Buffalo Black Nurses? Yeah. Uh, how did that word get around? How did you start, like, I guess, mobilizing a, 
uh, all these, these these troops of nurses. Having a presence in the community. Um, Buffalo is a unique community. Um, it's not a large city, but you can still live in the city and not know others. Hmm. But you have to put yourself in situations that you may not necessarily be comfortable with and just having a presence. So, And I say uncomfortable because at one point in time in my life, I was shy. You may not, you could look at me now and be like, no. But you're very I'm, outspoken. Um, <laughs> even before the interview, we were just chatting it up. You don't, you're not a wallflower to me. So. Yeah. So that speaks to this organization and how it can foster growth and development. So I joined the organization because I wanted to make a connection with nurses that look like myself. And I was at a point in my career where I'm like, I feel kind of stagnant. And the way my brain my brain works, I'm like always looking for like, what am I doing next? Like, what's next? <laughs> what am plug. I doing next? Good, <laughs> Good work there by you. So I took the initiative to go out and seek out this organization because someone mentioned it to me. And I looked it up and I met with Rhonda one-on-one. We talked about it. I joined. And that is how my story and my journey began with this organization. So the work that we were doing, just being present in a community, starting with small fundraisers, speaking to, you know, Buffalo loves our festivals and our events, and you have to meet people. Half of the battle is awareness of Absolutely. That. Having conversations, making sure that you're represented and, and that people understand you're there. So uh, I always it's the say- the boots on the ground. Yes. Mm-hmm. I always say on this show, we have a lot of different- folks from different places uh, promoting different things, but uh, we're not going to solve all the problems in this in this room, in this mm-hmm. five-by-five room. We're going to, we're at least going to bring a conversation to the forefront. That's Absolutely. been our goal with this show, and, and I'm sure that's the same with you. But you're also doing a lot of good work in the community. Um, it's a three-pronged approach, I, I believe, I saw to helping the community. Uh, you, The Buffalo Black Nurses have, has logged over 20,000 hours of community service. You've mentored members who are in the program, get partnered up with other, I guess, more seasoned medical practitioners and scholarship. You've provided over $18,000 in scholarship funds. Is that all correct? That is all correct. So you're, you're doing some some real tangible good in Buffalo. Absolutely. Uh, come a long way in, in four years. Mm-hmm. What are those specific events and, and, and community outreach services look like? We have some events that are on our calendar that we love to do every single year. So one of our favorites, um, we would stuff bags, Crown Royal bags, mm. and we would the stuff velvet them. Purple bag. The velvet purple <laughs> bag. And we would stuff those with toiletries and other goods. And initially when we started that particular fundraiser, we would give those to the military, the troops that were that, that were in need of those items. Mm-hmm. So last year, we changed it up a little bit, and we did it for Kaylee Cares. One of our members, she spent some time with the birth of her daughter in Children's Hospital, so she had her own personal experience with going through this birth, maybe um, experiencing some things that mothers go through after the immediate birth of a child, and she knew that this would have a positive impact on the mothers delivering at Children's Hospital, whether their child had medical issues at birth or special needs or whatever the case may be. But we were able to donate things, care packages, not only for the babies, but for the mothers as well. You know, journal items so they can journal and talk about their feelings and 
blankets and socks and you know things that women like it's like comfort items comforting yeah, yeah it was it's, it's, absolutely amazing that's just, awesome that's just one i mean i can there there's a list but just to highlight some of the organizations we've been able to give back to st luke's mission of mercy mm. this organization i don't want to get the number wrong but it's upwards to a thousand meals that they give away a day wow to people there on sycamore street we were able to donate I believe 500 stuffed bags of just regular care items, toothbrushes, soap, socks, you know, things like that to that organization. And that community was extremely grateful for it. And then partnering with other organizations that do work, Project Mona's House, they do work related to human trafficking. Yep. You know, so the list goes on and on. But the work that we're doing, we want it to be organic. We want it to align with our mission. Yep. But we want to know, want the community to know that we're there and we're available. So let's have a conversation and see how we can collaborate. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on, you have been there. The nurses have been there. They've been there through quite the tumultuous last few years. I, I want to highlight all the good, but I also want to get into the, 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 the psyche, the lifestyle of medical practitioners, mm-hmm. nurses, anyone in that in that field, in the healthcare field, because... We went through a very tough time, and that, and I say that the, the royal we, you all went through a much harder time. I can't imagine the emotional toll, the the, the just the, the physical fatigue, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, we, there wasn't a, a huge bump in 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 general average pay. Um, it's it's frontline response workers, teachers, delivery personnel, all those all those sectors went through through the pandemic without being able to kind of step aside like the rest of the population did. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? How was that for the, the group that you're a part of? How did mm-hmm. you see your peers? How would you characterize those, those years? And, and really still ongoing because we're mm-hmm. we're saying we're past the, the pandemic, but we're seeing variants still popping up and, and a push for, for vaccination still. So how, how was that era, that period of time for you and, and your peers? The beginning of the pandemic was unlike anything I had ever seen like most of us anything unlike anything we've ever seen or lived through Mm -hmm. um it was a very it was a scary time um I was not working as a um bedside nurse at the time because I've been in leadership for five years but I still had to go and report to work every single day um and it's unfortunate because not only I don't say the, being a healthcare worker is it it has its dangers, right? Because you're exposed mm-hmm. to blood and body fluids and all types of other situations that occur on the job. But having you know, it was the expectation for you to be there as we figure all this out of what this is, and there wasn't an immediate bump in pay. People lost their lives, you know. They they put their families at risk as they went home. So there were all of those challenges, not only with the fear of not knowing what this is, but, you know, and I'm not going to be compensated because this is my role and you just expect me to be there. So I don't know if that, you know, that absolutely wasn't the right approach to that. Um, But it was traumatic and we're still seeing the after effects. Um, I just want to touch on the nursing shortage because the nursing shortage is something that I learned about in my textbooks 
back in 2012 when I was working on my bachelor's degree. They said, we are at risk. We know that we're going to be faced with a nursing shortage. And this is what the number is going to look like. Nobody knew that COVID-19 would happen. So not only did the nursing shortage start to surface because of the baby boomers retiring Mm -hmm. and people, you know, leaving the field, but then COVID-19 just enhanced it. It just there's so many compounding factors there that just unbelievable, unbelievable. So it's number one, not an easy job. Yes, it's a great way to make a living. A great way because under, you're a skilled worker. Yeah, under normal circumstances. Yes. It's tough regardless, but add all these things. It's to tough it. regardless, but you add all these things to it. And now we're over here saying, hey, what about nursing? And everybody's like, I don't want to do that. COVID. I don't want to do that. You know, there's no staff. You know, it is backbreaking work. Are you seeing the numbers still stagnant or? or are as they... far as people applying to. Mm-hmm. There's multiple issues, and I'm just going to be very real. Yeah, please. Nurses make a great salary, but why don't the instructors make a great great salary? When I was, I got my nursing degree, my associate's degree, I was a progressive student. I got the associate's and the bachelor's. And the. I remember when I was working on my associate's degree, my instructor said to me, you're going to come out of school and make more money than I do. How is that fair? You need somebody that is going to be dedicated and fairly compensated to turn out quality nurses to this field. It's just like teachers. We exactly. Need to, we need to pay well for to have good pay well to have good teachers. Absolutely. Quality teachers, and then if it's not there, then why bother? Exactly. And and I fear the brain drain. Like just we're not getting we're not getting the the, the top individuals that we we should be getting in these fields in education and health mm-hmm. in in any one of these that we touched on um yeah and 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 you were you said you were in a leadership position so i'm sure my the other component of it is the mental health component you probably you you, you i mean there was triage uh, stage we saw all the pictures mm-hmm. on the on the news but mm-hmm. you were living it yes so how how does one get through that how do you help keep everyone on point on on the mission to to continue doing your job it was a difficult time um you have to rely on a support system and if that's at work it's your co-workers it's your peers a good leader so i was a clinical nurse manager so i'm going to look to my directors and my president and everybody to just you know what are you going to do to help improve our morale whether, you know, you need to bring in someone from EAP and we sit and talk with a counselor or whatever the case. And then at home or, you know, whatever your social circle is, someone that is willing to listen to how you're feeling. Right. Because as I had to teach my nurses, okay, this is the PPE that we're going to use. And this is, you know, the patient's didn't understand that our nurses were getting sick and it's depleting mm-hmm. the number of nurses that I have to take care of these patients. And guess who took the brunt of the anger? The leaders. So I'm getting yelled at, I'm getting screamed at, I'm getting called, you know, you're not compassionate, you don't care, you don't understand. And I couldn't do anything but sit there and listen and try to find a resolve to the issue. Something feasible that was gonna satisfy their need at the time. Not be argumentative, right. but be compassionate and empathetic that they are in a situation and they need care 
they don't care that I don't have a nurse. Find something. <laughs> it's it's everyone's everyone's going through this whole thing, and 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 this is a going to be a case study for many many years after. But just seeing the the general psychological effects that we all had, but that was part of part and parcel of it. I think that that we forgot the human side of exchanges like that, and that mm-hmm. that you all in the medical field were having the same issues, but having to also help and deal and just go through it all and, yeah. and try to get us through it. So yeah. Definitely uh, I, not I, a nice I applaud time. you. No, I, and I'm sorry that I had to uh, dig up uh, it's okay. that, that period of time, but it's just, I mean, we keep we kept going on. We kept I moving don't on and, ever and, want to experience anything like that again. I can remember getting up and driving to work, and this was during the times of the shutdowns, mm-hmm. and it looked like a scene out of The Walking Dead because I'm the only car on the street. <laughs> and I'm like, it was just eerie because there was yeah. a, such a stillness in the air. And you you mentioned being there for your peers and your colleagues. The Buffalo Black Nurses is, like I mentioned before, a big component is mentoring, partnering up with with seasoned or experienced nurses and practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, why should nurses join an organization like Buffalo Black Nurses? Well, it's an excellent way to network. I think the most important thing is to share my own personal story. So like I mentioned a little earlier, I wanted to collaborate and just meet other black nurses because I was one of few working in my organization. So, you know, I was just looking for something more. And this organization has really fostered my development. I didn't seek out leadership in nursing. It just organically happened. But what gave me my confidence is we were doing a fundraiser one day. And we're out, and we're you know we're having this breakfast brunch, and we're raising money for I'm our scholarship. Threw a mic in your face, Tiffany. We threw need a to, mic in my face. You need face. to MC this event. Here you go, Tiffany. Get on the microphone, and then you got voluntold. Yes, voluntold. <laughs> this is what you're doing, and I'm like, me, okay. And then from then on, I loved being on the microphone. I loved being on the microphone. The the attention, and I'm like, okay, people are listening. So right this is the opportunity to say something. That has that's meaningful and it has some relevance. And then from that point on, I had the opportunity to MC our galas. And so it went from having 20 people in the room to having, you know, 80, 100, 200, now almost close to 500 attendees. And I had the opportunity. But if it weren't for that moment of somebody saying, you can do this, go do it. And it's important because we uplift one another. Mm-hmm. We pour into one another. You may not have somebody to talk to to say, you know, I really don't know what to do about this situation. There's probably someone in that room that has been through that situation and they can help navigate your concerns and give you some great advice. And once I joined the organization, I saw the amount of success that was in that room. And that's what lit the fire for me to go back and get my master's degree. It sometimes just takes that communal push and nudge to absolutely to get that extra extra out of you and, and it's great that you have this organization it's great that you're you're not only helping the community but one another because like i said i think everyone needs it but more so you all i'm with tiffany anderson the president of buffalo black nurses um you're 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 situated at roswell park fantastic hospital now let's talk about the patients it's it's no secret we've covered it in one way or another um, health disparities. It, it's something that we keep talking about. And systemically, it's it's an issue on the east side of Buffalo. 
And what are you what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are the, the, the blind spots that we're not addressing properly when it comes to our most needing population? Are they getting the, the, the proper knowledge? Are they getting the proper assistance? Are they getting into the field properly. You started Buffalo Black Nurses because representation, it matters. You need to say, hey, we're here and we're trying to trying to get more. Well, sometimes these kind of questions can spark um, uncomfortable realities. So it is important to have representation and diversity in healthcare. And whether you're a medical doctor, nurse practitioner, nurse, physical therapist, it is important to have diversity because studies have shown patients are going to respond in a more positive way when they have somebody that looks like them. And unfortunately, in this country, we still have racial issues. And whether people want to admit it or not, people of color are treated unfairly okay so i'm i just have to say that (laughs) we welcome the uncomfortable (laughs) conversation so please continue so they're not treated equally so naturally a person if i have to go to my doctor who is not african-american how do i trust that you're telling me the right thing you know and you're you're looking out for my best interest we know in humanity, that's what we should do, especially if we go into this field to take an oath that we're going to treat people fairly and, you know, ethically. But there's a, a, a trust factor that is not there. So the importance of this organization and having representation is so we can have the best outcomes and the best health equity for everyone. And it's not just about black people. Look at all of the refugees that are coming. We need diversity in healthcare in general. So this is not just about, you know, African Americans. I've been a nurse for 16 years. And, you know, you have to take these cultural courses because, you know, Latinos respond one type of way. And then you, we have Bengali and we have all of, and we have to learn about all of these different cultures and understand how they react or respond to medicine and because of their cultural beliefs. And you're sometimes the one that the, the people that are seeing the patients more than the actual doctors or specialists. And you're, you're, you're the, 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 the first line. You're, you're... We are the first line. And nurses, the instructors that instructed me, they would always say, you know, it is so important to get your education. But to, you know, some people they want to, they may want to get their associates and and stop there. But you really should continue your education because there's so much more to learn as you progress up that ladder. And nurses need to be allowed to work to the full scope of their license, and in a discipline. And yes, we are a separate discipline from a physician. But that is not for anybody to discount the work that the nurse does. We have our own separate set of diagnoses. We have our own ways that we diagnose and treat. But that's all relevant information because we spend the most time with the patient. I'll never forget, I was a brand new nurse working at Miller Fillmore Gates Hospital when it was still standing. And I had an issue with the patient. And I called the doctor. And I presented the scenario. And he says to me, well, what do you think we should do? 
And I'm thinking to myself, when you're getting <laughs> you're paid. You're the doctor. <laughs> I'm, you spun it on you. You're getting paid all these big bucks. And I said, okay. But that scenario stuck with me for many, many years. And that's why I advocate for nurses. And I said, don't let anyone ever say to you, you are just the nurse. You are worthy and you're extremely valuable and you are needed. Because if there were no nurses, who would do that work? Mm-hmm. Not the physician. We're, all, we're also, I'm sure, seeing a, a shortage of, of physicians and doctors and surgeons and, and up, the upper tier, I guess, quote unquote, of the medical profession. Uh, so, yeah, more people are going to be doing a lot more work. And unfortunately, that means our nurses are going to be doing their job and then some. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's. I'm glad you shared that because, once again, another component of the many things that, that you all endure in your profession and, and currently in your field. Um, Tiffany, we have a few more minutes here, but I wanted to ask you, as far as you mentioned the trust factor, um, we have a new vaccine rollout, whatever you may think of that, that's, that's for you to think, but do you find that there's an aversion still? Like the black community has, has had a very troubled relationship with, with a lot of different sectors, but with the medical field in particular, you look back at the Tuskegee experiment, you look back at uh, we just had on uh, Henrietta Lacks. Lacks. We had a, a guest, Pastor Nicholas, talking about Henrietta Lacks' family and, and all that, that happened there. Are you still seeing that? Is there still a reluctance to work with the medical practitioners? Is, is, are, how can we fix that, if so? Is in relation to receiving a vaccine? No, I'm or? saying just in general, like just looking out for your health. You increase the diversity. That is a simple fix. Who better to relate to someone than, you know, it should be a mixed bag. (laughs) Our country is a mixed bag. And that's what makes us unique. And and our differences make us better, actually. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have diversity in your hospitals and your doctor's offices, why would I want to go there? Some some of us, unfortunately, are used to being the only ones. You know, Mm -hmm. I sit in boardrooms. And I'm the only African-American there. I don't need anyone to point it out because I can clearly, Stevie Wonder can see it. (laughs) Right? But I I had recently, I had someone point that out. And I'm like, well, that was really unnecessary because we all know this. I'm a nurse. I'm a black nurse. Yes. But I'm a nurse But I am a nurse. And if there's not more people and multiple colors in this room, well, then shame on you. You need to do a better job. And the way that we improve people to go to the doctor and to understand what's going on with their health before it balloons out of control and then we're putting a strain on our economy because a lot of people are receiving Medicare benefits or whatever the case. That's a whole nother story. It's hmm. another episode. That's another episode. Let's improve the diversity. We need more students of color going to school and enrolling in these nursing programs, but we don't need to set them up for failure. We need to set them up for success. And students joining the organization and linking up with mentors to help them successfully get through nursing school and pass the NCLEX, that is one of the layers to what we're doing with this organization. But you need to increase diversity in physicians' offices and in healthcare organizations, absolutely. And what would be the biggest concern for nurses, medical practitioners in Western New York? What's suppressing matters on the minds of nurses right now? For me, being in leadership, 
I'm looking like, you know, I'm I'm at the point where I'm looking at policy and, you know. Is retention a, a concern? Absolutely. And retention has been a concern since COVID because here we kind of mentioned, we talked about this briefly before, when you start offering contract dollars. Mm. And if a nurse has the flexibility with her family to go and work on a contract, then the organization here is losing out. So then they got to copy what the other organizations are doing and bring in contract workers. But now you're creating a divide with the staff nurses of the hospital yep. working alongside somebody with the contract, and you're getting double what I'm making. So is there? I mean, it's it's. I like to think everyone everyone's all hunky dory and working together, but it's that's it's not the case. It's not the case. It's These not are, the case. This is an outsider. It's coming in, taking Absolutely. taking a job, a and job he, that should be filled internally and locally, Absolutely. but it's not. But it's not contract nursing. I, it's something that that I have a friend who had who has a, a wife who's also in the medical field, and she took a pretty lucrative uh, position for a three four month stint on the West Coast, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, that's a thing apparently, and and sure enough, that's that's going on in a lot of big cities. We're part of that concern of trying to retain and also just get folks is, is keeping it's them. It's not sustainable. So now here's my business side kicking in. I'll be done with my MBA in three months, by the way. Yeah, but there's congrats. my business side kicking in, right? So it's not sustainable for an organization. So the leaders need to come back to the drawing board and let's get in this room and figure out not just for healthcare, not just for healthcare, but any sector, how are we going to invest in our staff? Because me paying thousands of dollars for contract work. It's not good for our finances. We're going to take a hit. And not to mention some of the value-based care things that we need to be related to to have good health outcomes mm -hmm. so we don't pay the government a penalty. So you see how all of this yep. ties yep. together? Yep. It's so all... if we have diversity, then we can improve some of our health outcomes, not pay a penalty here. I mean, it's it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack It's and a fix. lot to unpack <laughs> and fix. But the, I went into that because it is important for organizations to figure out how do I coach up and develop the staff that I have. If you have money to go and pay somebody on contract, then you have money for staff development. Let me retain the people that I have here and those that are hungry and motivated and willing to learn more, go back to school for a degree. Let me invest in those type of programs and those people will stay and they'll be happy. And... Tiffany, once again, Buffalo Black Nurses, if you are in the medical field, if you want to help, how can folks get more information about what the, uh, the, the group is doing? So we have a website, buffaloblacknurses.org, and it has, let's say an organization wants to partnership with, have a partnership with us. We have a community service request form, and they can fill that out, and that'll give us an opportunity to review it and, and make sure that it falls in line with something that we can do and provide. Um, we ask for a, a time period turnaround because we're number one nonprofit. None of us get paid for any of this. Our nurses are shift workers, so we can find volunteers, but we want to make sure we give them adequate notice to be able to attend an event, what may be needed. So we do ask people, you know, just to fill out that form to request, and we'll be glad to review it and have one of our board members reach out. If you are a nurse or a student that's interested in the organization, there is also information on that website 
on how to join. Very affordable membership fee. We wanted to keep it lower than what other nursing organizations charge for their membership. Um, so that information is there as well. And you got a gala coming up, right? You Me? mentioned the, the gala that you yes. MC. It's yes. coming up in November. Correct? Yes, I'm no longer the MC. I if if <laughs> you, you weren't there, you missed it. Someone else. <laughs> if you weren't there, you missed it. It was a great time, but I did do it a few years in a row. But yes, our annual nursing scholarship gala is our largest fundraiser. We work all year, and this is like the highlights of it. Right. It's at the Niagara Falls Convention Center, November 4th, 2023. And it is an amazing event. You'll have a, it's black tie. You have Fancy. to wear all black. It's black tie. It's an amazing sit down dinner dessert, but it's not your typical gala. We have a great time at this gala. So one of the primary purposes of this is to honor our nurses that have that are currently enrolled in school. Um, those that have graduated, so the ones that applied for the scholarship, they will—they don't know how much they're going to get, but they'll be awarded with their scholarship at that time. And then we highlight our, our graduates from the previous school year, so that's a really special time for them. And then this year, we're going to put a little bit of a spin on it. We want to highlight the members of our organization that have become nurse entrepreneurs. So nursing is an amazing field. But there is also things you can do beyond the bedside that you can use your nursing license for. So, What does some of that look like? Well, we have one of our nurses. She opened just like a, a spa aesthetic type of business. And so you can go and get, you know, spa treatments, Botox injections, you know, these type of things. So there's a lot of different things you can do when you're creative and innovative and how you, you know, have the time outside of they find nursing it is beyond me. I I I'm just here trying to make it through, through they the day. Find with, it as a parent of two and a, and, a, and a producer for a show. I can't imagine uh, how how you all do it. So kudos to you, and and Tiffany. Um, many many thanks to you and your group and and just nurses in general because I think we uh, the media and everyone really publicize that. But me personally, I whenever I, I've run into somebody that has, has gone through what you all have gone through and, and continue to do so on a daily basis, I thank you. Uh, it's a tough job, and I'm glad that you are all doing it. So thank we, you very much. You know, it is truly, truly our pleasure, and we just want to attract people that have that same passion that we do because we absolutely love being nurses, and it is an honor to be a nurse. Absolutely. It's been an honor to have you on Thank What's you Next, so Tiffany Anderson. Thank you for joining us. And we've got more of What's Next after this. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We've taken some auditory field trips on our show, but today we're just going to talk about the concept of field trips and the necessity of getting out of the classroom and learning in our outdoors, learning about the world out in the world. And to do so, I am speaking with the executive director and founder of Get Out and About, Brittany Upshaw. Brittany. Thank you so much for joining us on What's Next. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And Brittany, you are, as I mentioned, uh, the, the mastermind behind Get Out and About. 
and just I'll give I'll give the quick elevator pitch of it, and then you can give me the rest of it. But the big concern here is making it possible so that students don't miss out on that experience of an off-campus field trip that are unfortunately subjected to financial constraints both in their households or the school district itself. Um, I think everyone can look back at, at back in their childhood, parents and, and adults alike, and those were the best days to look forward to at school. I mean, you should look forward to all days at school, but let's be honest, the, when you got out of the classroom and got to do something special, that was something you look forward to. Mm. If you forgot the permission slip to get, get it signed, that was, that was a huge bummer. But please explain the mission of Get Out and About and how that came to be. Yeah. Um, so um, I was inspired to start Get Out and About um, by doing a pitch night at UB. Um, I pitched the idea, um, just like offering field trips to those who couldn't afford it. Um, just like having that enriching experience of a field trip, you know, because a lot of people don't have that experience. A lot of kids don't get to go to those things. Um, in their own individual households. So just like helping schools and organizations that may host field trips to sponsor students to attend those field trips um, for their ec educational and recreational benefit. Um, I was inspired because I did a pitch at UB. And after I asked a question, I said, who knew a kid who couldn't go on a field trip because their parents couldn't afford just the extra fee that they mm -hmm. the schools charge? And every single person raised their hand. After I did the pitch, um, people wow. were coming up to me saying I was that kid. People were saying I was an immigrant um, family. My mm -hmm. parents could not afford the extra fee. And people were saying my mom had six kids. She couldn't afford to send all of us, so she didn't send any of us because she didn't want anybody to feel left out. Right. Um, so it's a really big issue, unfortunately, like in our city today. I was just mentioning that, that, that it's sad when you don't have your permission slip signed, but that's if that was only it, uh, mm -hmm. there's a real concern here that even for, for a, a, a child that has siblings, a child that practically just you can't afford the the that that pass to go to the museum, the mm. science museum, to go anywhere, you're also isolating that child more by doing so. That's something that we should be avoiding at all costs, I think. I wanted to have you on here because I think that we take that for granted. We do, We yeah. think that the public school system or, or schools in general have that baked into their budgets, but uh, you mentioned it. There's there's passes, there's there's fees that are, that are associated to, to almost each and all field trips. Um, I don't want to say the... the that the I word that's floating around out there, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure given all the, the stressors, the economic factors that we're seeing just rising, um, rising prices and, and unfortunately just household wages stagnating, that's got to be a big component in this, right? Definitely, on, yeah. on top of, you had already a population that couldn't afford it already, but now there's probably a greater amount now, correct? Yes, definitely. I spoke with the executive director of... Um Delvin Greider Community Center, and they said they used to do field trips, you know, pretty frequently. And ever mm -hmm. since the rise of COVID, like with COVID and mm -hmm. rising pri prices, she said that buses are three times what they used to be. Um, I spoke with a teacher, um, and she was telling me that schools are only doing walking field trips in certain districts because they can't afford the cost of the busing. Right. Or like teachers are covering some of those students' costs who can't afford uh, the extra fee. And teachers, they go through so much already. They don't make enough as is. Mm -hmm. they, the, uh, I have a family member who's a who's a third grade teacher and yeah. the amount of money that comes out of pocket for, for materials, for those in those cases where the student needs a pair of scissors or what right. have you, you, that's coming out of, unfortunately, their pocket. Yeah. And I, and I didn't even associate that as well. Field trip costs. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's sad to hear that this is, that, that it affects not only just the students, but the, but the teachers as well in, in a way. Um, you mentioned the, the buses, we have a bus driver shortage. I assume that's also mm -hmm. one of these factors that's getting lumped into the, the cost. Yeah, it's a huge factor in the rising costs of the buses. And is this mainly, I mean, 
I remember grade, grade school being the, the bulk of, of the field trips, but middle school as well, high school yes. somewhat, but um, mm-hmm. those are those are real pivotal years. Those are pivotal grades, the, the grade school years and then early middle school. We want to give our, our, our students a comprehensive education, right. and that means sometimes and, and, and a multifaceted education plan. Mm-hmm. That means getting out of the books and actually seeing things in person. Right. You so, want kids to experience those hands-on, um, connecting the dots from what they're learning in school and seeing it in the real world. Is it also, have you partnered with any uh, field trip destinations or locations here in the Western New York area? Yeah. So we're working on a partnership right now with Gloria J Community Center on Main Street. Um, we're working with Excellent. them to send them to Parkside Candies. Um, it's our first like field trip, actually, that since we just started in May. Um, we're sending the kids over just to have a fun social um, outing for them because social experience and social emotional goals um, are also part of um, our mission. We want kids to have those fun social outings too, so they get you know recreational benefits from that as well. Pairing up with somebody and all right, let's go take when they at least in my field trips we did sometimes get the free range uh, portion of it where you can mm-hmm. kind of just go and explore on your own uh, and and just pairing up with friends and and choosing your own adventure. That's that, we don't think about it, but that's. There's a learning experience there. Yeah. The, the, the social aspect of it and component is, I think, uh, something that we forget about these things. And I'm glad that your organization Get Out and About is raising the awareness on this because, yeah, like we, we are so caught up in other, other concerns in our mundane lives that we forget about how important even this is for a student. Exactly. Um, now... I haven't. I didn't grow up here. I'm. I'm getting acclimated with with the Western New York area. But one thing I remember is is hearing uh, the the locations, the the weather. Unfortunately, we are a, a tundra when it comes to <laughs> winter time. It, it, I'm still not used to that. But I gotta imagine that also limits or, or makes educators have to be a little bit more creative in the destinations that they choose and where they can go. When you can't really go out to an outdoor venue, you have to. You have to get creative. Are you seeing that also playing a role in in, in this? Yeah, um, we're definitely thinking of just like different ways to get kids out and about like during those winter months when it's just too cold. We're thinking of places like Community Music School is where I work. Mm. Um, they um, said that they would be a host for field trips um, for schools in the area. Um, I know Buffalo Science Museum and Explore More downtown as well. Just, you know, places that they could go possibly during the winter time too. And you brought up Community Music School. I We're, we're, we're discussing the field trips, but... And, and get out and about, but you've been finishing up your MBA, you've been working at Community Music School. What is the mission of Community Music School, and how has that, uh, I guess, framed how you, you've approached this initiative? Um, Community Music School's mission is just to make music less elitist. Um, for long, a very long time, the music world has been Something very Something else that has a high uh, pay-to-play threshold. Definitely. <laughs> Literally. You have to, like, musical equipment is not cheap. No, and, not at all. And and that's another one that that's struggling. Arts mm-hmm. and music and schools. Yeah, it's just, we just want to make it more equitable. Um, just like you said, that's a very high um, pay-to-play um, price for music. Um, so they discount music lessons according to financial income. Um, we moved to the east side two years ago um, to reach more people, and it's just been great since um, we've come there. We've gotten a lot. Our diversity has grown. Mm. We used to be a part of the Elmwood Village. And we've just Got seen it. diversity grow when we've seen people play music together. Just It's just music unites us all. So it's yep. been a very beautiful experience to watch. So I was asking my my colleagues and trying to get a sense of the, the locations that, that were popular when they were growing up. Um, I got, you mentioned uh, Explore More, a fantastic mm-hmm. spot. Tiff Farms. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. The Science Museum, Art Park. Uh, what was your experience with field trips? 
how did they mold you and what was your favorite one? Um, I would say my favorite field trip was when I did summer camp at UB Step um, and we went to Daring Lake mm. um, because we were learning about engineering and we were learning about machines and they took us to Daring Lake and they told us how roller coasters work beforehand. And That's even... an interesting way of having that field <laughs> Right? <laughs> I'm sure the teachers were like, all right, we need to get out we need to get them out and burn off some energy let's go to Darien lake but let's we got to have an educational spin and that's that mm -hmm. we didn't have thought of that one that's that's brilliant yeah it was super creative we got to make a little song beforehand about machines and it was so fun <laughs> i had a great time with all my friends <laughs> and and once again just getting out of the the classroom uh we've we've got a lot of new ways to to reach our children we got i remember we we our school ended up having um it was a big day when we got like smart boards and now that's almost in a lot of schools it's almost in, in a lot of that i've seen it's still now almost like it's expected kids have tablets for the most part we're trying to get everyone uh situated with the upcoming technological world exactly um which just opens up a whole new plethora of teaching opportunities mm -hmm. but um why is it so important to get out and about yeah. Uh, and... for, sorry for, for making it <laughs> a cheesy of a segue. No, I love that. <laughs> why, is, why do we need to focus on that? Yeah, um, just like you said, with the rise of technology and um, kids are visual learners. I mean, a bulk of children are visual learners. They need to see what they've been learning um, just in the real world. There's so many benefits to field trips. There's obviously educational benefits, like we discussed, um, just going to the science museum, seeing the planets, seeing what they look like, all the cool features that they have in that exhibit. And there's also kids who experience field trips typically have higher GPAs than kids who do not. Mm. They have increased enjoyment of learning, which we really do want kids to enjoy school. We want them to enjoy learning. There's a lot of studies that suggest that um, students who go on field trips, it's directly linked to a bond with your community. And those students that don't have the financial necessities to go out and about, you know, in their own free time with their families, they need to experience the community. And like, we want them to experience Western New York. We want them to love their city, to love where they're from, and just have that bond with where they're from. 89% of the amount of students that went to field trips, it made them more curious and involved in the world around them. Mm -hmm. um, I got to imagine that I remember back home, we went to the Wonder Bread factory. Mm -hmm. We had a Wonder Bread factory down down South Florida. And, and I got to imagine like this might make a baker out of somebody someday or, mm -hmm. or just it get somebody thinking differently along those lines. For me, the big field trip was always the planetarium. Oh, uh, that's really cool. And I know we have one at the Science Museum, mm -hmm. but just... Yeah, seeing seeing the night sky, learning about it, different than a than in a textbook, different than a, than a film or a movie. It's just another another way, as you mentioned, of, of learning something and taking it in and getting inspired. Exactly. At the end of the day, that I think that's that's the big thing about about field trips and and getting out of the classroom is just seeing that there's a real world application mm -hmm. to the stuff that you're learning. Right. Exactly. Seeing it, um, seeing it in real life and real time is just so much more like beneficial sometimes for kids, um, especially when they're visual learners. Um, helps them build critical thinking skills. They get to learn, um, you know, all about the world around them. Brittany, if anyone wants more information on what Get Out and About is doing, if, if they want to, they want to get out and, and be about it. <laughs> what can they do? They can head to our website at um, getoutandabout.org. Um, learn more about our cause and what we do here. Brittany Upshaw, thank you so much for joining us on What's Next. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. <laughs> and thank you for listening to us on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.